This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Pokemon Chronicles. I'm Emily. And I'm Kyle. We competed against each other on Jeopardy. Kyle ended up winning seven games. And we've been chatting about the show ever since. Each week we start with analysis of this week's Jeopardy episodes. Then we move on to a deep dive on a question or category from one of those episodes. And at the end, we have a quiz. This week, we're talking about Monday, March 2 through Friday, March 6th. So on Monday, we had Mandy DeLucia, a restaurant consultant from Newport Beach, California. Bruce Lowe, a software engineer from San Francisco, California. And Aaron Getch, a law student from Macomb, Michigan whose two-day cash winnings totaled $41,801. And we started off the Jeopardy round with the categories X-Men, young and not as young, the 20th century, novel characters, stay protected, words from the map, and rubric cues. Yes, and uh, before we get too far, I'll say it's good to be back. Oh yes, welcome listeners. back. Yeah, no, it's. Uh, I had a I had a lot of fun listening to uh, listening to you and Lori talk last week. Yeah, that was, it was, that was it really was cool. great to reconnect with her, and uh, yeah, a delight. Although yeah. I'm very glad to have you back as well. Yeah, no, I'm. It's yeah, I was was getting getting itchy, getting antsy, you know, having withdrawals. Yeah. Needed it. Um, so this round. While it was not a perfect left to right top to bottom, it was a perfect top to bottom. Oh, you're right. They it went was. through the 20th century top to bottom, then words from the map top to bottom, then rubric cues, then novels mm-hmm. by character, then stay protected, then X Men uh, yeah. top to bottom. They they did each category, mm-hmm. which you know it's just it's satisfying. It is. Um, I feel like we saw a bunch of people trying to do sort of the James Holtzauer style of play for a mm-hmm. while. Yeah. And it feels like the contestants as a whole have just kind of gone back to a more traditional, somewhat more conservative style. We're seeing a lot more top to bottom play. We're seeing small to moderate daily double wagers a mm-hmm. lot more of the time, I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm not quite sure how to account for it. I agree. I think the, the reality is simply... Enough time perhaps has passed that people who are going into tape days now are, it's not fresh in their mind. So they're going back to like what they know. Mm -hmm. And also, as I have maintained many times, like James's strategy worked for James Mm -hmm. because he had the buzzer dominance and the knowledge base that really nearly nobody else has. Mm -hmm. You know, we have obviously seen that Ken Jennings has it, but (laughs) I do not put myself... And I imagine really none of us put ourselves on that level. So, yeah, <laughs> you also have to have like the psychological makeup for it. Mm-hmm. You have to mm-hmm. not really care that you're on TV and you need a pretty high tolerance for risk. Which a professional gambler does, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, so, yeah. Anyway, I enjoyed this round overall. I was, uh, <laughs> it, it was painfully obvious that none of the three contestants, uh, like knew hardly anything about X-Men because <laughs> mm. they all left it to the end and they didn't do particularly well in that category. I mean, they did okay, but 
they they're clearly not fans you know what i mean yeah they they got they got a couple they got three of them it could have been worse no it could have been it could have been yeah it could have been that football category like, <laughs> and it's not a criticism i mean like you you like what you like and you, and you know what you know um but it was just it was just kind of funny to see all three of them seem like physically uncomfortable with that category mm-hmm. totally there was a notable triple stumper uh in the novel characters category at the 800 level mm. the clue is aunt chloe is married to the title character of this 1852 novel and the correct response is uncle tom's cabin which mm-hmm. i have actually never read it but 1852 novel and i was thinking well aunt is married to uncle mm-hmm. there's there is but one option in my mind you know yeah. i'm surprised at least that no one like at least guessed that but you know you know their minds could have been going down who knows what rabbit holes you know that that may have led them down yeah the name chloe i mean if you're not very familiar with uncle tom's cabin i think the name chloe might mislead in that evokes for me like more of maybe like a european french right sort of french name i don't know sure um i i didn't remember uh Uncle Tom's wife being Aunt Chloe. It's been a long time since I read it. And Uncle Tom's cabin came to mind, but I was not confident. It's a it's a pretty thick book, but it's a but it's a fast read for a long work. Um oh. you know, because it because it was written to be kind of widely appealing. Um Ah, uh, yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, it's very plot driven. It moves along fast. There's yeah. Uh, so we find the Daily Double in the $400 level of Words from the Map at the seventh pick. Bruce finds it. At that point, he has 2,400. He's in the lead. Uh, Aaron has 600. Mandy has 200. He makes it a true Daily Double and gets the clue. Referencing Famous Falls, a 1912 book complains that a this of nonsense is continually roaring from the press. And he guesses what is a stream the correct response there is Niagara, a Niagara of nonsense. Yeah, I think he just did not understand the clue. It mm-hmm. seemed like he, he was having trouble just kind of like parsing it out to mm-hmm. to get to an answer. So, yeah, that's understandable. As we proceeded through that category, it became clear that the category was going for proper nouns mm-hmm. on the map that came to be used in in a more general way. Mm -hmm. But if you're early in the category, maybe can't remember what came right before or haven't sort of worked it out. I could, I could see thinking that a stream being like a type of body of water would be enough to fit the category. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So he drops down to zero. And like I said, we go through top to bottom for the rest of the rest of the round. And at the end of the Jeopardy round, Aaron is in the lead at 4,200. Bruce is at 2,400. And Mandy is at 2,600. And we get the categories for Double Jeopardy of Music, The Tool Shed, Micronesia, Cranky TV Characters, Moon Me, and Just Know, N-O in quotation marks, which will begin each correct response. And uh, this whole round, Bruce exhibited just buzzer dominance yeah yeah he he ended the game with a 46 percent first in 
Mm. Which, I mean, James Holzhauer had over 50%. I ended my run, I think, at 36%. Mm. And, you know, even with 36%, I was able to be in quick enough to win, you know, seven games. Mm-hmm. Bruce's, you know, all the way up at 46%, It's it was... He, he was just thoroughly dominant throughout that mm-hmm. double jeopardy round yeah i i ended up enjoying the mar or the mars the music category even though every time music comes up as a category i'm always like oh no i'm gonna get all of these wrong and it's gonna be super embarrassing uh but actually this one was this one was awesome yeah it was a good category mm-hmm. we get the uh second daily double in the music category at the thousand dollar level bruce finds it he also uh has like i said been pretty dominant on the buzzer so he he, he's gotten nearly every correct response of this round so far he wagers three thousand of his 9600 so he's already back up to 9600 against aaron's 3400 and mandy's 2600 so he's he's jumped out to a huge lead early in double jeopardy so he wagers 3,000, and the clue is a trip to Cannes on the Mediterranean at age 8 helped influence Paris boy Claude Debussy to compose this 1905 orchestral work. If you aren't familiar with the orchestral works of Debussy, then you really don't have much of a chance. You can, like, after you get the, the correct response, you might be like, oh, that makes sense, but trying to parse it out would be pretty tough. Mm-hmm. Bruce guesses what is Claire de Lune. Which isn't a bad guess if, you know, most people, that's really the only Debussy piece that they would know. Uh, but the correct answer is La Mer, which mm-hmm. means the sea. If you've never listened to anything by Debussy, check it out. La Mer. I love La Mer. Beautiful piece. So he loses 3,000, but he's still firmly in the lead. Just a couple clues after that, he uncovers the third daily double in the $1,200 level of Moon Me. At that point... He has 7,800 to Aaron's 3,400 and Mandy's 2,600. He wagers 5,000 and gets the clue. This nickname is given to the full moon occurring nearest to the time of the autumnal equinox. And he correctly responds, what is the harvest moon? Um, So extends his lead there. Yeah, and he, he found all three daily doubles. He ended up losing 400 total on the yeah. daily doubles, but yeah, but kept the, kept but, them away from the others. Uh, yeah, um, absolutely. That there's a big value in that. Yeah, it's always kind of fun to see how Jeopardy contestants do on like very practical categories, uh, like the tool shed, <laughs> um, which they did they did pretty well. They did yeah. pretty well, but I I like that Jeopardy makes sure to include that kind of thing. Yeah, not not just like pure academia. Yeah. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, Aaron has six thousand two hundred. Uh, he is tied with Mandy, um, and Bruce is in the lead with a lot game. He has eighteen thousand eight hundred. They get the final jeopardy category from the desk of the Pope, and the clue is a nineteen nineteen letter quotes Jesus. Go into the whole world and preach the gospel. And notes the vigilance, energy, and hardships of these workers. So Mandy has wagered zero dollars and writes down what is thank you. Um, if you're 
in this position, the two wagers that really make sense are an all-in or a zero, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't matter that much you're playing for second place. Right. You know, so whatever you want to do is fine. You can do something emotionally significant or a number you're comfortable with. But, like, yeah, from a, from a strategy point of view, I think the wagering math nerds would say an all-in or a zero is... Uh, is the way to go. Although, you know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I, that's a point that I might've misunderstood. You can, you can tweet me if I, if I messed this one up. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, anyway, thank you is not correct. Um, (laughs) somehow, somehow it is not correct. Yeah. Arian has done the other option and has gone all in and also is incorrect with what are disciples. Bruce has wagered $5,555 and says what are soldiers with two question marks so this one I think didn't connect with these contestants Uh, the correct response is what are missionaries yeah I definitely did not get that I I I went back and forth on this whether I had an actual issue with the wording of the question or if I just need to accept that like I just didn't know it and that's okay Mm. because it to me the the way that the question was worded made it seem like the the type of worker is coming from the quote of Jesus, mm. which I mean reading it again uh, grammatically the it does not it does not mean that the the the, yeah. the question does not mean that but I remember like in the moment I kept I the only option I had was that it it had to come from a quote and so mm-hmm. who would he be talking about so like my my thought was like shepherds or uh fishermen like my, my wife and i were like well it's, yeah we're, we thought it was obvious it was either shepherds or fishermen yeah that was my take on it yeah that makes sense i need to brush up on my on my church history around this but i seem to remember kind of a big increase in missionary activity in sort of the first half of the 20th century so that was that was something that sort of helped it helped it click for me Hmm. Yeah. It seems like Jeopardy's been doing a lot of religion. I've felt that way too. It's it like Bible categories seem to come up a lot and even things that are more tangential to that. Mm-hmm. And I've I've noticed like specifically it seems like Christian Christianity. And I mean that's yeah. that's how it always has been. It has been, you know, if if religion is going to come up more likely it's going to be something about Christianity than another religion, but mm-hmm. I I too have noticed that it seems to be more common recently mm, they just really like our podcast in the writing room that must be and <laughs> yeah they're like we want to we want to we want to you know give them something in the wheelhouse <laughs> that's probably why they gave us that music category too yeah it was all yeah. for me but you know what writers you could have put that in the tournament of champions <laughs> and not that not that dumb non non-composed mentis category Ugh. Mm. Oof. Yeah, they were anyway. with you. <laughs> yeah. Andy over at the Jeopardy fan uh, noted that the the papal quote comes from the Maximum Illud issued by Pope Benedict XV on November 30, 1919. It speaks of the work that missionaries did with spreading the Christian faith to places such as Australia, the interior of Africa, and the Pacific Islands. Hmm. Um, which, yeah, that's, that's what I was, that's the sort of... Uh, expansion of missionary activity that i was trying to recall that i learned about at some point Hmm. cool 
So uh, Tuesday, March 3rd, we get Kim Lutz, a homemaker and retired engineer from Centennial, Colorado, Mike Upchurch, a writer from Chicago, Illinois, and Bruce Lowe, a software engineer from San Francisco, California, whose one-day cash winnings total $13,245. And uh, a little aside, Centennial is about mm, two blocks away from where I live. It is oh. the next next town over. From well, I mean, Aurora is pretty big. It, it borders a number of different municipalities, but Centennial is mm-hmm. the one just to the south. So we actually probably live very, very close to each other. Cool. Yeah. Anyway, the categories for the Jeopardy round, we get the 1950s, the common bond cuisine, literary twins, charitable celebs, immaculate inception, and list buckets, list in quotation marks. Mm-hmm. And they were not trying to be topical with Immaculate Inception, um, but I am in Westchester County where we're starting to have some active coronavirus cases. And, oh boy, are we talking a lot about Purell. Um, (laughs) Is it it because it has the highest street value right now? (laughs) Yes. uh, Yeah. People are just arm sweeping it into their shopping carts as if you could win the epidemic by owning the most disinfectant. Um, well, you can, can't you? That's my understanding. Yes, that's, uh, it's basically the zombie apocalypse, right? Like mm-hmm. we implement the zombie apocalypse plan. I don't know. I, I'm cranky about this. Taking all the Purell is not a good way for a, for a community to minimize the spread of a disease. Right. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> yes, herd immunity. That's right. what we want. We want herd immunity. Vaccinate um, your kids. Yeah. We get to the first Daily Double pretty early. Uh, it's in the category list bucket at the $800 level. And Mike uncovers it on the fourth pick. He wagers $800. At that point, he's he's in the negative. He's at negative 200. So he can wager up to 1000 he wagers just 800. Um, Bruce has zero at that point, and Kim has 200. He gets the clue from the Greek for beauty and strength. It's basic exercises for fitness with little use of special equipment. And he correctly responds, what are calisthenics? Which the sequence of letters L-I-S-T is in there. I got to it, but I feel like they're they're being a little tricky sometimes with uh with some of these i mean that's what a wordplay category is yeah they didn't make it that list will be at the beginning or list will be at the end it's yeah and in this case the the t of list is paired with an h Mm -hmm. like chinchilla in the inch category it's uh it's a little hard to think of if you're trying to think of something that has the syllable list in it right right there was a triple stumper uh at the thousand dollar level in the literary twins category Mm -hmm. uh the clue is this alliterative title dickens character works for the wealthy cheerable twins and his sister kate marries their nephew now i've never read it but i immediately thought nicholas nickleby because Mm -hmm. that is the only alliterative title dickens character that i know now you being uh more well-read than i am are there other alliterative title characters from dickens works i don't think so I know, he, I, I know he wrote a lot of stuff, so it would be hard to, like, know for sure. 
Yeah, nothing else comes to mind. I feel like there's not even too many title Dickens characters. Yeah. I got a little stuck on the Pickwick Papers, Mm, mm. which is alliterative. Yeah. In any case, wouldn't fit with the rest of the clue. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, we have Bruce at 2,600, Mike in the lead with 8,000, and Kim with 2,200 as we go into Double Jeopardy, where we find the categories Imposter, Waterfalls, Parenthetical Song Titles, Geology, Luke, and 4-4. Each response will be a pair of four-letter words. And yeah, we get we get a Bible category with Luke. I, you know, it took them, it took them a while to get to it. And I assumed that it was going to maybe include a question about the gospel of Luke, but then, you know, be a bunch of questions about other people with the name Luke. Yeah. You know, but yeah, no, it was just all gospel of Luke. So thanks Jeopardy writers. I ran it. (laughs) Yeah. Didn't we just have a question about the Angel Gabriel like a couple months ago that was like a like a $2000 question? I seem to recall it was with um I think it was about the annunciation, wasn't it? Yeah. I can't remember the details of it, but I, I can't feel either, like but they I, were given I, I, a yeah. similar amount of information as this one, but it was at the 2000 or 1600. Yeah, it was level. a much higher value. I remember that cuz we were both like that seems a bit like, Yeah. If you know anything about the story of jesus they kind of know that one right yeah yeah at the 800 dollars level in that category um the other gospels don't mention this roman red tape registration process that precedes the birth of jesus but luke does well, yeah. um correct response there is a census which mike gets bible scholars have some questions about the historicity of luke's account that there was this massive census of the entire roman empire yeah um, <laughs> that that wording is really funny it's like of the whole roman world yeah um which and then they're supposed to go to the town of their ancestral origin to be registered which is a weird way to do it and there's no record of that specific census anywhere other than the gospel according to luke so huh interesting yeah never heard that um so daily double two we find in the waterfalls category at the two thousand dollar level bruce uncovers it he wagers five thousand of his eleven thousand eight hundred so he has again in the double jeopardy round kind of taken off and he has he's made up the distance to mike and taken a good lead so he wagers five thousand big big bet in 2009 Hugo Chavez declared that this waterfall should be referred to by its indigenous name, Carapacupai Mera. Uh, and he correctly identifies that that is Angel Falls. I'm not sure that I value that at a $2,000 level. Because mm. Angel Falls is the, the most like notable falls, I would think, in South America. Mm-hmm. And I guess you have to know who Hugo Chavez is and Connect where... Him to... Venezuela. Like, yeah, connect him to the to the country and then remember that Angel Falls is in there, which I did. So I guess you have to take multiple steps if you're trying to figure it out. So maybe it is. Eh, maybe I'm maybe I'm just kvetching. 
Yes. You also have to um, have successfully disentangled, if it was ever in fact entangled, Angel Falls from its Pixar twin um, Paradise Paradise Falls. Falls. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I have screwed that one up before. Um, Not on Jeopardy, but, you know, in other trivia settings. (laughs) Sure. Uh, It's such a good movie. I love it. It really is. Yeah, so that that gives him a good lead. Mm Mm-hmm. And... He finds Daily Double number three as well, um, back in the Luke category, which we were talking about a minute ago, at the $1,600 level. It's the 24th pick. He wagers 3000 of his 20000 um, Mike has 13200 at that point, and Kim 7000 And he gets the clue. Unlike the other Gospels, Luke has the story of this man who helped a wounded stranger after others passed him by. And he correctly responds, who is the Good Samaritan? I'm not sure that's a $1,600 clue. Mm-hmm. You know, but okay. <laughs> I don't know. I probably don't have a good a good sense of how easy or difficult some of those questions yeah. that are really in my specialty are. Uh, anyway. So we get to the end of the Double Jeopardy round. Going into Final Jeopardy, Bruce is in the lead at 23,000, but not a lock game because Mike is at 15,600 and Kim is at 9,000. So high scores all around, uh, even though there is a big gap between them. Still plenty of, uh, plenty of good scores. They get the category Children's Books and the Clue. This book was published in Latin as Virent Ova, Virat Perna. Kim wagered 7,800. Guessed what is Horton Hears a Who. So she had sussed out that it was Dr. Seuss, which is interesting, but that is incorrect. Yeah. Mike wagered 11,000, which perhaps you have insight onto these wagers. I'm not, I did not like, I did not grasp I... the the logic behind them at first. He correctly identifies what is green eggs and ham. And Bruce <laughs> wagered 7201 a cover bet and guessed what is I hope I won. <laughs> Which he might have. I mean, with these bets. It's if true. He, <laughs> yeah, he was in a position where, I mean, he could have with those. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, like, I like the candor of some of these Final Jeopardy responses lately. Yeah, I, I'm enjoying that. So for this one, I think maybe you have to identify the word ova yeah. as your clue. Um, and know that ova is the, the plural of ovum. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's eggs. And then go from there to get to green eggs and ham. I mean, virant is obviously green. And I, th- I, I feel like it's close enough to like verdant and the other like green we know from, from Latin languages. Mm-hmm. That it might be able to point you there if you're if you're opening your mind up to it, but I I didn't I didn't give myself yeah. a chance to parse it. I tried to do the whole thing all together and it just didn't work. So yeah, and it doesn't exactly follow the format of the English title because mm-hmm. the the Latin title in this case is Green Eggs, Green Ham, Green Ham. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm just picturing Sam. I am just like shouting Green Eggs, Green Ham. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I, um, <laughs> I amused myself um, when my when my older child was in preschool. They uh, they observe 
Dr. Seuss's birthday by mm-hmm. having green eggs and ham. They told the kids in advance that this was going to be part of the plan. And my son came home saying, they're going to have green eggs and ham and I'm not going to eat it because that sounds disgusting and I don't want it. <laughs> Which, I mean, how can you not, right? So like, if your child comes home and says that, how can you say anything? But like, you do not like it. So you so you say, you say try it, try, try it, it anyway. <laughs> try it and you may, I say. Yes, um, that's the only response you can have. Right? <laughs> he continued to try and explain to me and I continued to just quote lines of the book at him <laughs> because the whole book is somebody who doesn't want to eat the green eggs and ham arguing with somebody who does want the, the, the character to eat green eggs and ham. No. It's like, it's what like, choice did I have, really? Yeah, that was perfect. He set you up so well. It was it was beautiful. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. It's great moments in parenting. Um, so Mike is our winner going into Wednesday, where we get the contestants Margaret Beaton, a health policy analyst from Shrewsbury, Massachusetts, um, very close to my hometown of Worcester. Hmm. Um, yeah, she went to the same music school that I went to. I think she's younger than me. I don't think, I don't know if we overlapped there. I don't think we did. Oh, Paul Trifoletti, an attorney from Athens, Georgia, and Mike Upchurch, a writer from Chicago, Illinois, returning with one-day cash winnings of 26600 And we get the Jeopardy categories, current sports nicknames, negative thoughts, America's richest self-made women, how does your garden grow, Heller, and high water. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. And high water, in this case, was all bodies of water that are at high elevations. Mm-hmm. I don't remember where I learned this, but at some point when I was a kid, somebody taught me that mint is very identifiable by its kind of squarish stem. The contestants got it easily, and there were some other clues built in there, but I liked seeing the picture. And, you know, the, the picture blows up on your TV screen, so you can't see what the text of the clue is, but it blew up on my TV screen, and I said, oh, that's mint, before Alex got through the question. So that was gratifying for me. Nice. I almost never do well with sports questions, um, but I liked the $800 one in current sports nicknames, which was the NFL's Iran Matthew doesn't care if you don't know his nickname is this species of fearless carnivore of the weasel family. I <laughs> right. um, just completely guessed at how you pronounce the NFL player, uh, but that is a viral video that I remember very well. Mm-hmm. It's a classic. Honey badger don't care. I, I'm not sure we even had the phrase viral video when the honey badger when video honey went ba- viral. Eh, maybe maybe we rem- did. It was it was it was one of the early ones. It was a, it was an early viral video. So yeah, they they showed a honey badger and worked in that doesn't care hint, and I, I didn't need to know anything about the NFL player to to know that one. Cold. That was fun. Mm-hmm. So we get the Daily Double as the last pick in the round. Clue number 30. It's in the America's Richest Self-Made Women category at the $600 level. Mike finds it, and he wagers $1,000. He's currently in the lead at $5,000 over Paul's $3,600 and Margaret's $2,400. But 
maybe he doesn't want to potentially blow his lead at the end of the round. Maybe he does not feel confident in uh, self-made women. Who knows? Mm. But the clue is, Pleasant Roland started this historical brand when she couldn't find suitable dolls for her nieces. Now, I knew this. That's American Girl. Yep. I knew this for two reasons. One, my mom collects dolls. And the room that she keeps him in is the guest room, which is super creepy. Because all the dolls just stare at you. <laughs> um, and so I know that from that. But also, one of the, the malls nearby, uh, there's an American Girl store. And mm. I recently was killing time with, with my, my three-year-old. And so, you know, we walked around and then we went to the American Girl store. And, you know, as a, you know, a father of, of small daughters... I have become very quickly very comfortable with things that, you know, as I was growing up, were taught, you know, be, you know, you're a boy, be manly, that those are girly things. I'm totally comfortable with pretty much all of those things, but I will still, I, I was, I felt out of place in that store. Mm. It was, <laughs> and it wasn't anything that anybody was doing, it was just like, wow, none of this is of any interest to me. Yeah. Um, and I'm not really super comfortable. <laughs> yeah. The whole brand has taken a turn in recent years more toward their contemporary lines, which didn't even exist when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. It used to be a line of dolls that was really very seriously focused on history education. Mm -hmm. And I, I would say a lot of my like early interest in history was cultivated by that brand cool each doll had a historical period and location and like all of these books about you know her her life and her adventures that were historically accurate with like little notes worked in about about the historicity and then the like all of the accessories would be like researched it was it was really interesting to me as a as a nerdy kid mm -hmm. uh it's been a little bit disappointing to see them retire a lot of their historical stuff. There's some of it still there, but the emphasis now is more on the contemporary. Yeah. Um, One thing yeah. I did notice, though, in there is that um, there does seem to be an emphasis on diversity. For sure, yeah. Which, which is, you know, encouraging. So. They're doing really cool stuff with representing disability uh, in, mm -hmm. in their dolls as well. You yeah, can get I your doll that as well. A wheelchair, you can get your doll a hearing aid. Um, they are giving that really careful attention, which I appreciate. Yeah. Yeah, so that daily double leads us to the end of the round. Uh, Mike added to his lead, so he has 6,000. Paul is at 3,600, and Margaret is at 2,400. And double Jeopardy, we get the categories The Jeffersonian Era, from SNL to the movies, Saturday Night Live, Science, Ancient Greek and Roman Architecture, fill in the Tony-winning play title, and giving out... IOUs in quotation marks. So it's the letters IOUS. Presumably happening at the end of a word, because they don't normally happen in that order within a word, but that's what they're looking for. I was bummed we didn't get to the rest of the Tony winning play titles. We ended up with four unplayed clues mm -hmm. in this round, all in that category, which I was looking forward to. And that's okay, though. Mm -hmm. It happens. There are a number of triple stumpers in this round, which may have contributed to it. We find the second Daily Double in the science category at the $1,200 level. It's the 11th pick. Margaret uncovers it. 
and wagers 2,400. She has 3,600 at that point. Mike has 6,000 and Paul is at 8,400. So even if she went all in, she would land in second place. This is uh, a little more conservative and lets her, if she's correct, tie for second. The clue is it's the point in the orbit of the moon when it is farthest from the earth. Uh, she responds, what is apex and is initially ruled incorrect. Play continued until daily double three, they paused before, before the wager to correct her score. They had said that it was incorrect and that the correct response was apogee. After further research, they decided that based on the wording, they were not specific enough to pin it to apogee and that apex was an acceptable response in this case. Mm-hmm. In the IOUs category at the $2,000 level, we have the clue, this adjective means incorrect and is more specifically applied to logic with faulty reasoning. And I very confidently said Hmm. Margaret rang in with fallacious, which is what they were looking for. But I sort of wonder if they would have ended up taking specious. It's it doesn't fit quite as cleanly with yeah. with the logic mm-hmm. part of the clue. Yeah. Uh, fallacious shares a root with fallacy, and logical fallacies are like a, a thing. But but maybe. Yeah. Yeah. We get the third daily double at pick number 25. It's the $2,000 clue in the ancient Greek and Roman architecture category. Paul finds it, and he wagers 3000 of his $8,000. He is in second place to Margaret's 1200 and just ahead of Mike at $7,600. Uh, so if he gets this right, he will move closer to first place, but uh, not into first place. The clue is, similar to a Roman circus, this was an ancient Greek race course for horses and chariots. And he correctly responds, what is a hippodrome? For Jeopardy folk, for trivia folk, remember hippo refers to horses in the the Latin. I said Circus Maximus, because for some reason, when it comes to Jeopardy, I just can't get my Roman arenas in the right place. I think it was my second game. There was a clue about the Circus Maximus, and I responded Colosseum, and it was incorrect because Mm. my brain knew it, but going from my brain to my mouth, it becomes something else. And I don't know why. I don't know why. So at the end of the Double Jeopardy round, Mike has 7,200. Paul has 11,000. Margaret is in the lead with 12,400. We get the category 20th century artists. And the clue is, this artist who lived from 1904 to 1989 had a first name that means savior in Spanish. Mike has wagered 6,300 and has the correct response, who is Dali, uh, Salvador. Dali, Salvador means savior. Paul has wagered 10,000 of his 11,000 and also has uh, who was S. Dali. Margaret has wagered 9,601, a cover bet that has written who is Diego Rivera. 
and we talked uh, mm-hmm. a few weeks ago about Diego being the Spanish equivalent of our James. Yep. Um, yeah. Because that makes sense. Yes. I, uh, yeah, that's, that's a mystery to me. I would have to trace that one back to try and understand how that happened. Yeah. So that puts Paul in the, in the lead with 21,000 and he is our champion going into Thursday. That's right. And on Thursday, we get Zakia Mendoza, a marketing analyst from Canton, Michigan. Wes Hom, a stay-at-home dad from San Francisco, California. Two San Franciscans this week. And Paul Trifoletti, an attorney from Athens, Georgia, whose one-day cash winnings total $21,000. The Jeopardy round gives us the categories Hold My Beer... And Alex said please afterward, which was just so Canadian of him. (laughs) Uh, Then children's books. Singers not singing. C as in C's with the letter C in quotation marks, but the word C's, S-E-I-Z-E, which is a clue that all of the words are going to mean something along the lines of C's. Then continental and congress who knew there there were that many words that start with c and have a meaning having to do with c's yeah because we went through the first couple and i was like how in the world have they filled the category but you know yeah they were yeah it was it was a good category i thought yeah i mean the i'm not going to read all of the clues but like the correct responses are clutch and clasp and clinch and commandeer and collar yeah that was interesting that was that was fun in the children's books at two hundred, the two hundred dollar level, we had the man in the yellow hat takes mm-hmm. care of this inquisitive primate. That's Curious George, and I, my kids love Curious George, and I, I like Curious George. But the first book, like that, sets up the whole premise of Curious George, just sort of drives me crazy. I mean, I know it was a different time and place, but like the premise is, there's a man who's in Africa and sees a monkey. And just takes it <laughs> and brings it home as a pet. And oh. then is really annoyed that it acts like a monkey. <laughs> Which, like, if you didn't want a monkey in your house, then why did you poach one from Africa, you know? So, anyway. <laughs> there's there's a lot in there. We could get into a whole thing. <laughs> but... Isn't there um, some sort of, like... I, I don't want to say conspiracy theory, but but some kind of like like murmuring out there of like the man in the yellow hat representing fascism or something like that. Huh, or am I thinking? I'm. I know. I know Thomas the Tank Engine. There's oh, a there's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of theory about like actually it's you know uh, it's clearly a fascist system and 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 all of that. But I remember there being something about the man in the yellow hat. I don't know. I didn't read it into that. So, huh? I'm very curious about that. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> uh, we learned that Alex apparently has a very small refrigerator. In the $200 clue for hold my beer, in the U.S., a standard one of these holds 24 12-ounce bottles, and the correct response is a case. And Alex follows that up with, "And I would also have accepted what is my refrigerator," which was, you know, a, f- a funny joke or whatever. Yeah. But that's not a very big fridge, Alex. Unless you're just saying you constantly have 24 bottles of beer in your fridge. Yeah. Which may be true. Huh. I mean, it could be. I mean, no judgment here. 
We get the Daily Double um, in the Congress category at the $800 level as the 15th pick. Paul finds it and wagers $1,200 of his $1,600. Wes has $3,200 at that point and Zakia has $400. And the clue is, in 1792, Congress passed the Coinage Act and established the first U.S. Mint in this city, he correctly responds, "What is Philadelphia?" Mm-hmm. If you're if you're studying trivia, you should know your mints, at least U.S. mints. Yeah, at least Philadelphia and Denver, right? Oh, <laughs> we had a clue about a band that was near and dear to my heart way back when. Wait, wait, let me guess. Blink One Eighty Two. It was yes, <laughs> yeah. I also got that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as did Zakia. Tom DeLong decided to investigate, quote, all the small things, end quote, and big things too, as a UFO researcher after leaving this hit making band. Um, yeah, uh, Blink 182 had a number of hits, including the song All the Small Things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Um, so, at the end of the Jeopardy round, we have Paul in the lead with 7,800. Wes has 2,400 and Zakia has 4,200 and they get the categories, the Cold War, Neat Animal Stuff, Get Schooled, Retro Phrases, Monuments and Memorials, and The Meg. (laughs) Which is obviously a a category about people named Meg or more Megan as they turn out to be, but I couldn't help but picture all of these people as uh, gigantic prehistoric sharks. <laughs> the That second Daily Double comes up almost right away in the Get Schooled category. It's the third pick at the $1,200 level. Zakia finds it and wagers $1,200 of her $5,400. Paul has $7,800 at that point and Wes has $2,400. She gets the clue... Alumni of this exclusive boarding school near Windsor include Princes William and Harry and actor Tom Hiddleston. She is shaking her head through the whole clue. She cannot think of any English boarding schools, which that's fine. Um, She says, what is fancy English school? Mm -hmm. And uh, the correct response there is Eton. Which, you know, she's not wrong. She's not wrong. I think she uh, should have gotten that money. <laughs> she's she's correct, um, yeah. but not specific enough. It's it's hard to it's hard to argue. There's a fancier English school. I think. True. Perhaps um, perhaps because she didn't say fancy est. Yeah. <laughs> so she was not specific enough. Yeah. There was a clue in in the uh, monuments and memorials category, the two thousand dollar level. The clue is, at 500 feet, the world's tallest cross stands over Spain's Valley of the Fallen, but no longer over this dictator moved elsewhere in 2019. To me, that wasn't necessarily a $2,000 clue because there is but one Spanish dictator, and that's Francisco Franco. Yeah. Which is the correct response. So even without all of the other stuff, just like Spain dictator, you know what it is. But that's that's really a fascinating. I don't know. To me, I, I really like Spanish history because um, mm-hmm. I feel like it kind of gets, I don't know. At least in the United States, it gets a little like not ignored, but 
but sort of like overshadowed by especially like British and American history, really, mm. really English, you know, Anglo Anglophone history. Um, mm-hmm. As well as like French history too, we look at that a lot. Partially, I think, probably because French democracy tried to take a sort of parallel path with American democracy, and that is a bit more like intriguing or whatever, maybe. But like the story of Franco is really interesting, and the Valley of the Fallen was built and and like designated to honor the victims of the Spanish Civil War, and when he died and his remains were placed in the valley of the fallen a lot of people took a huge issue with it because they're like he's why they all died (laughs) like you're you're disrespecting everyone who is honored there by putting him there and i don't remember the exact date but that was a you know a number of decades before 2019 until uh finally the government was like you know they went to the franco family and were like we're gonna move him (laughs) yeah you can choose where he goes, but he can't stay there. Mm-hmm. So I, I just find that I I really enjoy that that whole part of history, learning about yeah. it. Obviously, it's not like a good thing, but yeah. But also, like, um. just a little bit more. Um, he <laughs> he he's he's also fascinating as a dictator in other ways because he maintained power for so long, which is really not the way that dictators tend to be. They tend mm-hmm. to burn bright for a short amount of time, right? Because that kind of iron grip on things leads to either revolution or like inside backstabbing yeah you know so like they, they tend to get deposed faster than you know 50 or you know 40 odd years yeah and so looking at the way he maintained his power is really interesting too huh there's a i'll plug another podcast there's a really good uh episode of uh misinformation about that uh, I think last December they did Dictator December. Oh, Dictator where, December. Where they talked about I, dictators. I listened to a couple so of good. them and they got like, I, I was, I got a little overwhelmed. With, yeah, but with it was I, like, oh, it, but it's so, it's so fascinating. Like, yeah. yes, it is a, a lot of, a lot of really heavy stuff, but also just fascinating. Anyway, we get the third daily double, uh, the, just above that in the, in the same category, monuments and memorials at pick number 19. It's the $1,600 clue. Paul finds it, and he wagers 2,000 of his 15,400. He is significantly in the lead uh, over Wes's 5,600 and Zakia's 7,400. The clue is Paris's Chapelle Expiatoire. 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 Man, my French is so good. Uh, Meaning the to make amends for executing you chapel is on the original 1793 burial site of this couple and paul seems to know it pretty quickly it's uh king louis the 16th and marie antoinette so he adds to his lead there the rest of the round paul is able to add to his lead a little bit but zakia and wes both get themselves above 10,000. Uh, so it's not a runaway going into Final Jeopardy. Paul has 20,200, Wes has 11,600, and Zakia has 10,600. Uh, so again, high scoring game. They get the category British novels, and the clue is a laboratory known as the House of Pain is on Noble's Isle, the title setting of this novel. Zakia wagers zero and guesses what is Frankenstein, which is incorrect. Uh, Wes wagered 8601 and was not able to come up with anything. He left it blank. 
Paul makes a cover bet of 3001 and uh, guesses what is Shutter Island. Uh, but that is also incorrect. The correct response is the Island of Dr. Moreau. Yeah. Which I was able to guess. Oh, nice Which I, I feel pretty proud of, but not really super proud because I the only thing I had to go on was, well, British... I know there's a laboratory, and it mentions an island, so I guess that's what I'm going to guess. Yeah. Although now that I know that the laboratory is called House of Pain, now I definitely need to read it. Oh. It just sounds I don't think awesome. I knew of the island of Dr. Moreau. That was like a weird gap in my knowledge, because like looking it up, I should have at least had the title in my head. It's an 1896 sci-fi novel by H.G. Wells. Mm-hmm. That's not one of the H.G. Wells books that I have read. I need to need to continue on with that. But that means that Paul remains the winner. The reason you make a cover bet and not any more than that, what what you see here is that he's he's dropped down, but he has stayed above the others. So we go into Friday with the contestants Mahesh Utam Chandani, an international development specialist from Falls Church, Virginia. Lin Yu a screenwriter from Los Angeles, California, and Paul Trifoletti, an attorney from Athens, Georgia, returning with two-day cash winnings of $38,199. For the Jeopardy round, we get the categories World Place Names, British Politics, Flag Creators, Wanna Bet, Emmy's Best Drama, and French Words in English. We had a we had a cool question about the rainbow flag in the flag mm-hmm. creators category. Um, it was when Gilbert Baker designed the rainbow flag for gay pride in 1978. He added hot this color to the traditional seven colors. Um, obviously, it hot I feel like gives it away, which is fine because it's a four hundred dollar clue. Um, it's hot pink, mm-hmm. uh, which was originally at the top of the flag, I believe. Hmm. Um, yeah, the the original Gilbert Baker um, one had had eight colors. It had it had hot pink at the top above the red, and then it had like a turquoise stripe between the green and the blue. Hmm. Now, more and more, I'm seeing versions that have brown and black stripes hmm. as a movement toward like explicitly bringing attention to racial inclusivity nice. um, within within the LGBTQ+. Plus. All right, so we get the Daily Double in the British politics category at the $800 level. The clue is, since 2016, Baroness Evans of Bowes Park has been the leader of this body. Mahesh finds it, and he wagered 3200 which was a true daily double uh, at the time he was significantly in the lead paul and lynn both had 600 and he, he correctly identifies that that is the house of lords so for anyone who doesn't know british parliament is separated into two houses the house of commons and the house of lords and he gets that right so he bumps himself significantly farther into the lead uh, up to 6400 at the end of the Jeopardy round, Mahesh is in the lead at 8,000, Paul is right behind at 7,600, and Lynn is at 3,800. So she will pick first from the categories Literary Awards, Musicals, Inventions, 
postal abbreviation words, the saints, and marching in. Uh, postal abbreviation words is where they take the postal abbreviations for uh, two or more states and mash them together to make a word. Which was fun. I, I liked, I enjoy those kind of puzzle categories where it's like okay yeah i have to figure out what you know what the first thing you're talking about is then determine what the part that you're looking for is then put it together and make sure it makes sense i enjoy those kinds of things i thought that was a fun one yeah for example if listeners are not aware of it the 400 clue a rocky mountain state pocks its car in front of an east coast state and falls into this long state of unconsciousness so the rocky mountain state is colorado the East Coast state that packs its skies, Massachusetts. And so you put CO with MA to get coma. And so mm-hmm. the, the correct response they're looking for is coma. I, I got the triple stumper at the $2,000 level in that category, uh, which was two states mm-hmm. on the West Coast bookend North Dakota to form this six-letter word for frankness. You think about the West Coast, you've got California, Oregon, Washington going south to north. So CA or O-R, or W-A, you need two of those, and then North Dakota is N-D, it's going to go in the middle. So that's candor, C-A for California, N-D, North Dakota, O-R, Oregon, you get candor. Mm-hmm. We get Daily Double number two as the fifth pick in the musicals category at the $1,600 level. Mahesh finds it and wagers 400 of his 9600 He's in the lead at that point. Paul has 7,600. Lynn has 4,200. And I'm guessing maybe he doesn't feel that confident in musicals because he seems surprised and relieved when he sees the clue. Uh, The protagonist of this musical writes himself letters, hence the name of the show. Uh, And he correctly responds, what is Dear Evan Hansen? Yeah. I also thought I saw a little bit of regret in that look of like, ah, I should have bet more. Yeah. Yeah. I had that feeling. On a couple of daily doubles, I recall. One of them especially, it was, uh, I don't remember what day it was, but the, the, the category was like live performances or something. And the three previous clues I had not known at all. And I got lucky and got that, found the daily double there. And I was like, I don't know, 1,000. And then it, the, it was the Monterey Jazz Festival, which was like, I'm going to know that one. But none of the rest of the clues in the category I had any clue on. So, like, of course, I was like, ah, I should have bet more. But also, I had no reason to bet more. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I uh, (laughs) sort of brings me back to uh, Audrey's uh, deadpan question of some weeks ago. Can I change (laughs) my wager? (laughs) Yep. I don't know if we've done book recommendations with Emily yet, but in the... $2,000 $2,000 level of literary awards was a was a pretty good one that I read last year. Uh, the 2017 Women's Prize for Fiction went to Naomi Alderman for this sci-fi novel where women get shocking abilities. Um, that is the novel The Power, wherein women develop, like, think like an electric eel kind of ability to, like, shock people with with their bodies, which seems like it's going to be, like, kind of a rah-rah girl power kind of premise um Mm -hmm. i mean especially in the wake of the 2016 election that's sort of where i assumed it was going to go and then it and then it really went into a dark and interesting and and like troubling place Mm. 
it was more nuanced than I was expecting. Um, but anyway, good read. Hmm. Okay. Good read, but also like might give you nightmares, you know, nice. approach with caution. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Hmm. We get the third daily double at uh, pick number 14. It's in the Saints category at the $1,200 level. Paul finds it and he wagers 2000 of his 6400 Lynn is at 5800 and Mahesh is up at 10800 The clue is legend says around 300 AD, this small European republic was founded by a saintly man and his followers, and it still bears his name today. And Paul correctly identifies that that is San Marino. So there are a number of clues pointing there. Um, small European Republic, you may just know that that's San Marino. Still bears his name. Uh, I'm not entirely certain, but I'm pretty sure it's the only European country with, like, saint in the name. I can't think of another. Yeah, I can't There's either. There's plenty of Caribbean countries with saint. Right, right. Um, yeah, so so a couple of, a couple of clues, clues that point you there. But yeah, Paul gets it. Uh, it adds 2,000, so he closes the gap with Mahesh. So this was another round where they uh, lost some of the clues um, to getting timed out. We never saw the $400 clue in the musicals category or the three top clues in marching in. They'd been around the bottom of the board sort of throughout and as they approached the end, uh, they headed for the higher value clues, which is strategically a good play. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, we have Paul in the lead with 12,400. Mahesh is in second place at this point with 11,600. Lynn has 11,000. And they get the final Jeopardy category, 21st century movies. And the clue, after its initial release in 2016... It became the first major motion picture to be dubbed in Tahitian, which I this this was a total gimme for me. I don't um, know how I didn't get it. I don't. Oh know if, no, I, Kyle! I, it like it didn't even cross my mind, which is mm. which is absurd. I'm glad I wasn't on the episode. <laughs> I mean, it, it happens. Um, I think if you are thinking about like what is a huge blockbuster of 2016, mm-hmm. um, as Lynn did, that can that can take you in the wrong direction, um, and instead you have to think about um, what movie would be of particular interest to speakers of Tahitian, right? And with the with the three players so close in score, the math is uh, the math is tricky for their wagers. Mm-hmm. Um, so Lynn has wagered $9,399. I'm not quite sure what her thought process is there, but if she... A 99 is you're thinking about what will happen if you miss it, typically. Mm. Uh, which, in fact, she does. Um, she says, what is Thor Ragnarok? So she lands at 1601. Mahesh has what is Moana. Mm which is the correct response with $801. Um, So he is getting above Paul's current score. I think he's realized that 
that Paul is likely to make a cover bet, mm-hmm. uh, which in fact he does. He's decided that his best chance is to um, try to stay in in the vicinity of his current score, hoping hoping to uh, to take the game if the others um, miss or have smaller zero yeah. bets. Paul does have that cover bet with 10,801, but he's correct. His response is, what is Moana? So he is our winner, and we'll see him again on Monday. Yeah. I think what Lynn was seeing was that if Paul makes a cover bet and gets it wrong, he will drop down below 1,600. Oh, yeah. So she she was betting to be above his his miss if he made a cover right. bet. If they that both totally got it makes wrong. sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, Man, I can sing the entire soundtrack. I have seen Moana dozens of times. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. So that's the end of the um, week. Yeah. You ready for some guesses? Okay. Yes, I'm ready to guess. Before I guess, I should remind our listeners uh, that you can support us on Patreon. We're on Patreon at Potent Potables. Uh, we have a number of membership levels um, from $3 on up. All levels get access to bonus content like our goat episode or like cool links and articles that we found in the course of researching deep dives. Mm-hmm. I am putting together an outtakes reel of some of the things that didn't quite make the cut but uh, seemed at least entertaining to us or at least me. So they might be fun for our our, our (laughs) listeners to listen to. So uh, look for that coming out pretty soon, too. All right. Great. Um, So my I have my little like list of guesses. And my first one, I think, is probably not going to be it because you touched on it more than I would expect you to if you were going to do the deep dive on Mm. it. Um, But my my, my first guess was Debussy. It is not. It is not. I I really like I thought about it, but I was like, "Ah, I just did. I just did a composer one last time when I talked about Bernstein. So oh, that's, I'm not going to do that again. True. I'm not going to do two in a row. All right. We're not talking about Anastasia and like the Romanoffs, are we? Nope. Okay. Not this week. Uh, what about the Triangle Shirtwaist Fire? No, uh, but actually only because that one came later. Uh, mm. We that That one... I know a little bit about that story, and it really intrigued me when it came up. I was like, "Oh yeah, that would be a good one for me to learn about and talk about." But no, I'd already, I'd already picked it. So this is one that we actually didn't mention at all. It's from the Wednesday show, the Double Jeopardy round science category. The two thousand dollar clue was a triple stumper. The clue is F can stand for this unit of electrical capacitance, and the correct response is a farad. So. I'm going to take us on a slightly uh, a different kind of deep dive than I think we normally do. Because usually we, usually we look at some uh, historical event or a person, or even with you know with with when I talked about Bernstein, I was still like I was talking about Bernstein and some of his pieces, um, which takes kind of a usually takes kind of a narrative bent, right? We kind of start mm-hmm. at the beginning of it and kind of work our way through. Um, yeah, we've done some, uh, we've done some like movie or uh, literary ones also where, where we follow the narrative flow of the work. Right. But yeah, I've, I've wondered how we would do something more. I assume you're going more science-y. Yeah, um, so this, I'm, yeah. I'm just talking about SI units. Cool. I'm just talking about, yeah, international system. 
because one, it was a triple stumper. Uh, two, I think it's fairly common trivia fodder to know your units. And three, I made flashcards of these for the Tournament of Champions. And wouldn't you know it, there's a clue in one of my games that was abbreviated BQ. This unit of radioactivity is named for a French physicist. And that's a Becquerel. Becquerel. And I And I knew that. But I didn't have the confidence to ring in, especially because that was my first game. And I was just like, oh, everything is awful right now. Mm. So it, it stuck with me. I was like, oh, man, SI units matter a lot. Um, so I'm going to talk about SI units. So I'm going to talk about the base units. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about like the development of the international system. And then briefly just mention the derived units. So that's that's my plan. We'll see how it goes. The International System of Units, or abbreviated SI uh, from the French name for it, which I really don't want to pronounce. Système International d'Unités. You want me to take a crack at it? Hold sure. Système International... Oh, you, you were pretty close to right. D'Unités. Great. D'Unité. Yeah. D'Unité. D'Unité. Yeah. yeah. As you would pronounce if there was like a, a vowel coming after it in the next word. Ah, uh, Okay. Uh, yeah, the the international system, it's the modern form of the metric system. Uh, so it is not technically the metric system, though oftentimes we, especially in America, refer to it that way, simply because it's not the system we use. And so it was put together over, over many decades, really. Uh, it, it isn't something that just was all decided all at once or all discovered all at once or whatever. Uh, it's It has been constantly uh, updated and refined and still is being refined and so it's based on seven what they what are called base units and those are the second which is a measure of time the meter which is a measure of distance the kilogram which is a measure of uh, weight or mass the ampere which is a measure of electric current the kelvin which is a measure of thermodynamic temperature the mole, which is simply and the amount of a substance, and the candela, which is a measure of luminous intensity. So those are the base units. And there are a bunch of other units, like the clue that I had, uh, or the clue that was in Jeopardy this week, the Becquerel or the Farad. Those are what are called derived units, which means they are not, they're not base units. They are determined by a combination of base units or a combination of other units but i'll get to that originally each of these um each of these units were determined by something like physical and observable you know whether it is the length of a particular object and you say that is a meter and so anything that is the same length as that thing is also a meter or that thing weighs one kilogram so if we balance other things out to it those are also kilograms but as time has progressed and especially up to now the units are based on invariant constants of nature like the speed of light in a vacuum or the charge of an electron mm -hmm. things like that which are pretty much fixed fixed numbers fixed uh, guess quantities sort of and those are used to determine what the base units are uh, with greater accuracy and consistency before that they had things that they called prototypes which were like objects that represented the measure against which all other things would be measured so like the prototype of the kilogram was a cylinder of platinum iridium that 
everyone just agreed this is how much a kilogram weighs this is the this has a mass of one kilogram and so they can that is the basis for comparison for everything else uh but since uh very recently that has been done away with and it was actually in on the 20th of may 2019 that the revision of all the base units to be determined entirely in terms of constants of nature was put into effect so it's very recent like this is not this is not something we're looking back you know 100 years and uh, derived units keep keep being created as more more discoveries are made in science, more things become measured. The most recently created derived unit is the Catal, which was defined in 1999. So it's been a little while since we've had one, but there always could be more. As we discover more things or determine new ways of measuring different things, it, uh, we'll have to come up with more units. The SI system came about to, you know, which makes sense to unify the way that we measure things from country to country. Before that, there was the centimeter gram second system, which is the CGS system. But there were some issues there. It didn't it didn't address a number of things like newer measurements with uh, electromagnetism and things like that. And then the General Conference on Weights and Measures, which is the English version of the French name for it, which again I don't want to pronounce, but uh, it is referred to as the CGPM, coming from the French version of that. So the CGPM is a conference which was established in 1875 and it brought together a bunch of the international uh, organizations for you know uh, science and academia to establish definitions and standards of a new system that everyone would follow the system was finally published in 1960 uh, after having begun intense like a, a real real focus study and and uh, process in 1948 so it took 12 years for the uh, CGPM to come up with what we think of as the international system now. I mentioned the seven base units. So like a second is a measure of time, and it's at this point it is now the <laughs> oof. It is now the duration of nine billion one hundred ninety-two million six hundred thirty-one thousand seven hundred seventy periods of the radiation corresponding to the transition between the two hyperfine levels of the ground state of the cesium-133 atom. Oof. Okay. Yeah. This is, this was after, uh, you know, uh, this is a series of, of like narrowing down the, the like variation in the measurement of a second to be determined here. Um, a meter is defined as the distance traveled by light in a vacuum in, in one 299,792,458th of a second. <laughs> So that's a meter. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> a kilogram is defined by setting Planck's constant exactly to 6.62607015 times 10 to the negative 34th joule seconds, given the definitions of the meter and the second. <laughs> um, so all of these, they're, they're, like, they're based on very specific, very, very they're specific things. You can tell. They're set... I mean, it sounds also like they're like based on sort of immutable things in the natural world. Right. But also for a bunch of them, there was like already an existing unit that they needed to sort of match up to something. And that was part of it coming from those prototypes. Yeah. They're like, all right, we already know that we're already saying this is a kilogram. So what is the nearest You're thing You're not going to change nature? what a kilogram is. Right. Yeah. What is yeah. this? What is the nearest thing that is not affected by our observations or by whatever that we can use to define this and so 
amperes are the flow of a certain amount of elementary charge e per second so the the constant e used there uh kelvin uses the boltzmann constant k the mole uses avogadro's number or avogadro's constant n sub a which is 6.02214076 times 10 to the 23rd uh and a candela is uh, its luminous intensity in a given direction of a source that emits monochromatic radiation of frequency 5.4 times 10 to the 14th hertz, and that has a radiant intensity in that direction of 1 683rd watt per steradian. So, clearly, like, it's not just like, oh yeah, that looks like one candela. It's like, it's very, very specifically defined. So, so the, like I mentioned, the international system... Uh, came from the C- CGPM, which began meeting in 1875 and meets usually about every four years to kind of like check things and bring new discoveries and make sure that everyone's on the same page. There's also the International Bureau of Weights and Measures, which helps to define units and whether they're base units or, de- or derived units. Um, since 1960, the CGPM has made a number of changes to the international system, to meet the needs of specific fields, uh, particularly chemistry and radiometry. And so they've added a lot of derived units for that purpose, like the Pascal for pressure, the Siemens for uh, electrical conductance, the Becquerel for activity referred to a radionuclide, which is just like radioactive activity, the gray for ionizing radiation and other things like that. And the meter was redefined in 1960 when the international system was proposed and then continuing on it was refined so they say redefined because it is technically changing the definition but really it's just getting things more accurate and more precise and having less variation from one uh, possible measure to the next so within the last within the last decade uh, proposals were made that brought in Planck's constant the elementary charge e the boltzmann constant and avogadro's number into the definitions of the measure and also to say that these things have a defined exact value so even though a lot of these constants um are not are not actually defined numbers you know they have they have never-ending sequences of decimals going on the agreement in the international system is that you will stop at a certain point so it is a specifically defined number it is an exact value they got rid of the international prototype of the kilogram, which you know was the the object that was used, and just went with the the more abstract constant. And they redefined a bunch of stuff. And this was all like very recently, all the way up to like I mentioned May twentieth, twenty nineteen. So I mentioned the uh, centimeter gram second system, which was followed then by the meter kilogram second system which basically made those three things the base units of which all other measures were were founded on but again those systems lacked the like robustness for the newer measures that were coming out like as electricity became a more prominent thing we needed to be able to measure that and have units for that kind of thing in 1948 the ninth cgpm commissioned a study to assess the measurement needs of the scientific technical and education communities and make recommendations and so that was the beginning of the creation of the international system. Over the next 12 years, they would, you know, bring their findings, bring their their uh, their decisions to the convention. And by 1960, SI had been created. One thing that 
every, I think, person at least going on Jeopardy and probably in trivia should try to commit to memory. It's kind of hard because some of them we, we don't have like real world uh, examples of, but that's the prefixes for SI units. So whatever the unit is, that means one of. So if you, you know, you say that is one second, then that is one second. And then you move either in greater quantity or in lesser quantity, and it uses a decimal system. And so what does decimal mean? It's related to 10, yeah, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Which yeah. plenty of, I'm sure, trivia people right, know that. Well, no, I'm, I'm, I, and but really it's a word that, you know, you learn as a little kid and you don't necessarily think about what that actually means. You just know that it's like, oh, well, there's a decimal point, mm-hmm. right? But it really means, you know, having to do with 10. So uh, the SI prefix system is a decimal system. So everything has to do in powers of 10. And, and a lot of these we know of, but they go pretty high <laughs> and pretty low. So if you're decreasing by powers of 10 from the one unit, you go down by a power of 10, you get deca, mm-hmm. which means uh, reduced by a tenth or a, a tenth of, right? So we have a one-tenth of a meter is a decimeter. Then you go down again, you get to centa. You go down again, you get to milla, so that's a thousandth. Then you get to micro, which is a millionth, then nano. And those are all pretty common. We know those, we hear those a lot. Past nano, do you happen to know what's what the next Ooh. one is? It's not micro, is it? No, no. Micro was before no. nano. Oh, yeah. We already did micro. My bad. Sorry. Yeah. No, it's... Um, and and part of the thing is, like, a lot of us, I, like myself included, don't necessarily know which one is smaller, micro or nano. We just know they're both really right. small, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, past nano is pico. Oh, and, right. Yes. And that is one trillionth, or, or 10 to the negative 12th. Past that, 10 to the negative 15th, which would be a quadrillionth, is femto. Uh, 10 to the negative 18th is Atto. 10 to the negative 21st, which we're up to a sextillionth, is Zepto. And then 10 to the negative 24th is Yakto. Like, we don't have real-world examples of any, like, you know, of a femtometer or an atometer or a zeptometer or a yoctometer. We don't really have picometers at that, you know, in reality, that's so small it's hard for us to comprehend. But that does go to that that level in the other direction getting bigger so if you go up a power of 10 you get deca then go up to a power of 100 you get hecto so 100 meters would be a hectometer then to a thousand we get the more recognizable ones you get kilo right kilo gram mm-hmm. kilo uh, meter at a million 10 to the sixth you get mega and we start getting into more computer tech uh, terminology here with like memory right we have kilobytes megabytes after mega is giga, after giga is terra. Do you happen to know what's after terra? No, I think that's about where my knowledge drops off. And that, I mean, that makes sense because our technology yeah. isn't at that point yet mm-hmm. um, for yeah. like, common vernacular. After that, we have peta, P-E-T-A. So that's 10 to the mm-hmm. 15th. That's a quadrillion. Then exa, then zeta, then yata. So they, they kind of mirror each other going up and down, but not quite. Not close enough to actually use that as a mnemonic. <laughs> which was super frustrating when I was trying to memorize those. But those are things that you can, like, you can easily find that table and just kind of, even if you don't necessarily memorize all of the values, just kind of get them, like, get them sort of in order, you know, so that you can just pull it out when the question comes up. There are also non-SI units that are acceptable within the SI system. For instance, uh, measurements of time, like minute, hour, and day. 
while they are uh, like sexagesimal like variants of a second, they're not technically SI units, but they are common enough and, and like tied to an SI unit. So it's like it's acceptable to use those as measurements of time. For length, you can use an astronomical unit, which do you happen to know what an astronomical unit is defined as? Oh, or where it comes from? I think I have known in the past, but it's, I don't think I'm going to remember right now. Yeah, um, it's well, it's roughly 150 million kilometers or 93 million miles. Oh, is that the distance between the Earth and the Sun? Yes. One yeah. astronomical unit is the distance is the rough distance of the Earth to the Sun. Mm-hmm. So that's also an acceptable unit of length. Not that you'd use it in the everyday, <laughs> and and other things, uh, other other uh, other units like a hectare for area, liters for volume instead of cubic centimeters, and you know other units that are acceptable because they've been used a while but aren't actually SI units because they're not necessarily tied to a constant. All right, so I mentioned mentioned all the base units. So the base units are good ones to remember, right? Uh, yeah. There are seven of them. It's Second, meter, kilogram, ampere, uh, mole, kelvin, and candela. So the second is the base unit of time, commonly understood and historically defined as one eighty-six thousand four hundredth of a day. Uh, but as we mentioned before, it is now tied to the frequency of ground state cesium-133 in hertz. Because Earth's rotation varies and is also slowing ever so slightly, a leap second is periodically added to clock time in order to keep clocks in sync with Earth's rotation. That's the kind of thing I can't think about without starting to get, like, weirdly morbid. Right? It, it, it does, it's, yeah, it puts you in a weird perspective. <laughs> so the meter, which is the base unit, uh, even though kilometers are very common units of measure just given distance uh, on Earth, the meter is the base unit. Just in case you were not aware, meter is spelled M-E-T-R-E, mm-hmm. except in the United States and Philippines, because we can't have our R's before our E's. The word meter traces its etymology back to Greek, the Greek word metreo, which simply meant to measure or count. To measure, but, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's that's where that comes from. And that's a whole that's probably a whole nother deep dive in its entirety little bit of history on it. In 1671, a scientist named Jean Picard measured the length of a seconds pendulum. So it was a pendulum with a period of two seconds. And this was at the Paris Observatory. Basically, he determined that the length that a, a seconds pendulum traveled was like a, was a constant measure. And so that, that became the basis for the meter at that time. As the years progressed, centuries progressed, there came different definitions depending on kind of like who was in power in Europe and like what country was was having the most influence and that kind of thing. So it fluctuated a little bit until we got to the International Prototype Meter Bar. And that's in 1867, the second general conference of the International Association of Geodesy uh, held in Berlin discussed the question of how do we standardize length and measurements to determine the size and shape of the earth? And so they, they discussed it. They, they came up with some, some ideas 
using different things like measurements of the curve of the earth and uh, meridian arcs and things like that. In the 1870s, particularly 1875, when we had the meter convention, uh, it was determined that a meter is the distance between two lines on a standard composed of an alloy of 90% platinum and 10% iridium measured at the melting point of ice. So <laughs> they, they had a very specific uh, idea of it, and they created a bar that they said, this bar is one meter long, and it is the standard on which all other measures will be used. As time progressed, they, you know, there were other ways to define it based on like wavelength of light or the speed of light. Uh, eventually, it came to be determined that the speed of light is just the best constant to use, and so that's why we use it now. So the kilogram is the base unit of mass. While you might think that, well, that has kilo on it, so it has a prefix, it should be gram, the kilogram is actually the base unit. And it is symbolized kg, also I didn't mention this before, seconds are symbolized s, meters are symbolized m. And the kilogram also went through a, a lengthy process over hundreds of years, you know, based on who was kind of like leading the philosophical sort of thoughts of the day or who was politically in power and what nation, you know, used what. And so the international prototype of the kilogram was produced in 1875 as well. It had mass equal to the mass of one decimeter cubed of water under atmospheric pressure and at the temperature of its maximum density, which is approximately four degrees Celsius. So that, um, that prototype was created and everyone said, this is a kilogram. And we'll compare everything to it. Uh, but then in 2019, scientists decided that Planck's constant should actually be what is used to define the kilogram. And that's where we are now. The ampere, like I mentioned, is a measure of electrical current. It is often shortened to amp, and it is symbolized by a capital A. So it's a measure of the electromagnetic force between electrical conductors carrying a current. So this comes close to the Coulomb. The Coulomb is another measure of electrical charge, and the ampere was originally defined as one Coulomb of charge per second. So a Coulomb is a unit of charge, whereas the ampere is a measure of current. Um, and it's based on the elementary charge E, which was also put into effect in 2019. And the ampere is uh, named for the French physicist and mathematician André-Marie Ampere who studied electromagnetism and laid the foundation of electrodynamics. Uh, the Kelvin, the base unit of temperature in the SI system, it is symbolized by a capital K, and it is named after the Belfast-born engineer and physicist William Thompson, first Baron Kelvin. So it's not even that his name was actually Kelvin. Uh, his real name was William Thompson, but he was the Baron Kelvin. We remember Kelvin a lot in like basic science because it is a a scale of temperature that is that begins at absolute zero which is the idea that um, it is the point at which there is no energy left in matter right it's it's the point at which the matter ceases to move mm -hmm. the celsius scale uses the same i guess scale as kelvin only it begins i think at 273 Zero degrees Celsius is 273 degrees Kelvin, but they then move at the same distance. So your your conversion of Celsius to Kelvin is just subtract 273. That's it. We have the mole, which again is not uh, it, it's different from the others because it's a it's not a unit of measurement really, except that it it measures the amount 
of a thing. So like the number mm-hmm. of molecules or the amount of ions or whatever that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. And it's based on Avogadro's number, which remembering that number, I think is more important because that's a more commonly known actual number, 6.022 times 10 to the 23rd. And so that's what it is. It, it mole is different because you still need to provide the, you still need to provide the name of the thing that you're measuring. So like, you can't just say I have a mole. I mean, you can, because you might have a mole on your skin, but you can't just say like, mm. that's a mole. You have to say that's a mole of something. Whereas yeah. in other places, like that's one amp, you know, that's, you know, one Kelvin. This is not just one mole. It's a mole of something. So it has to be uh, defined that way. So finally, we get to the candela. So that's a measure of luminous intensity, uh, which I defined earlier. I'm talking about radiant intensity in a certain direction. The old name candle is still used as in foot candle or in the modern definition of candle power. So those those are all intertwined. And I, I talked about the, the numbers and the frequencies going in. There are a number of, of derived units that come from the candela based on luminous flux and things like that. Moving on. I'm going to quickly name some derived units that are out there more common. Not going to really get into them. So we have radians, which you may remember from geometry class. That's looking at a plane angle like the angle of a plane, and that's meter per meter. So that's based on meters. That's why it's a derived unit. It's derived from meters. Uh, Steradian is a solid angle, which means uh, it's just moving it into three-dimensional space. So that's meter squared per meter squared, uh, where that comes from. Hertz, we talk about frequency, um, and that's coming from seconds. That's uh, like one over, like one per second, or like second to the negative first. Um, we have newtons, which measure force and weight. Pascal, which measures pressure and stress. The joule, which measures energy, work, and heat. The watt, which measures power and radiant flux. The coulomb, which is electrical charge. The volt, which is voltage, and that's electrical potential, not electrical charge. Also, it's used to measure EMF, or electromagnetic frequency. Um, there's the farad, which is a measure of capacitance. The ohm, which is a measure of resistance and impedance. The Siemens, which is electrical conductance. So all of these are very related, but they're different aspects of electricity. The Tesla, which is magnetic flux density. The Henry, which is inductance. We also have the Lumen, which is looking at luminous flux as opposed to just luminous intensity. The Lux, which is looking at illuminance, (laughs) which is not the same as luminous intensity. That is meters to the negative second times candela. Oof. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's... I don't know if I'll ever understand that. One. Right. I'm just throwing it out oh, here so you know the yeah. names, right? There's the Becquerel, <laughs> yeah, which is the, the measure of radioactivity or decays per unit time. The gray, which is absorbed dose of ionizing radiation. The catal of which is catalytic activity. And then we have things like the square meter you know, mole per cubic meter, ampere per meter, all those other whatever per whatever units that measure various things. So yeah, I just talked a lot about SI units. (laughs) Hope that wasn't too much. It's a lot of units. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But but being aware of them, especially as an American, it's like hard because we don't use them in our everyday. Yeah. All right. So that brings us to the quiz. All right. And I will tell you, none of these are actually about SI units. All of the questions have to do with like words that are SI units, but not the actual unit itself. You'll okay. you'll figure it out. You'll figure it out. All right. All right. First question. William Peter Van Ness 
and Nathaniel Pendleton were the seconds for whom on July 11th, 1804 in Weehawken, New Jersey. Oh, uh, uh, Hamilton and Burr. Indeed, yes, they were the seconds for Hamilton and Burr. A little bit about Weehawken. Apparently, Alexander Hamilton's son also died in a duel there, like, three years earlier, like, in the same spot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Because apparently it was a very famous place to go and have a duel. Everything is legal in New Jersey. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what that's, what, that's what I was reading. It was like they purposely went to New Jersey because you yeah. were less likely to get in trouble for dueling <laughs> than in New yes. York. <laughs> uh, well, nice. Uh, off to a good start. Ten points. All right. Question number two. This guitarist gained fame not only for his playing, but also for destroying his guitars on stage. When questioned about why he would ram his axe through an amp... He claimed that he wanted to find out what it would sound like. Who am I talking about? Oh, you leaned so hard on the word who. It makes me think that it is someone from The Who, but I'm not sure I'm going to be able to get to their names right now. Yeah, I think I think I don't know. Ooh. You did yeah, you did get I'm the sorry. clue. Yeah, it is the guitarist. I got the, the clue. Who. I just couldn't get the name. Ah, uh, that is Pete Townsend. Oh, of course it is. And pl- and plenty of people, plenty of musicians subsequently, you know, destroyed their guitar on stage. But he was kind of the first. From what I would read about it, uh, the very first time it happened, it seemed like an accident. But then he was like, oh, "Whatever, I'll just, I'll just finish this off right now." And uh, the crowd <laughs> loved it, so he it became a regular thing for him. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, he like 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 destroying an amp, just like ramming his guitar into it. He's like, "Yeah, I was trying to explore the sound, see what would happen." Like, well, maybe, maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. I don't know. <laughs> Who's to say? Uh, anyway, moving on. Question three. This is a sports question. Name the electrifying defensive end drafted 11th overall by the Houston Texans in 2011. He was drafted after winning the Lot Trophy in his last year at the University of Wisconsin. Um, don't think I know the football player. I want. I feel like I should try and come up with a viable, like based on the word electrifying. I don't think I heard an SI unit in the question, right? No, I did not give one in the okay. question. Okay. All right. So imagining that this is an NFL player with an with an SI with an electricity related SI unit as a name. I'm gonna say Volt. Ooh, good guess, but no. That would be J.J. Watt. Oh, yep. Okay. Yeah. Okay. This is going poorly. That's okay. You got, that's ten, right. you got 10 I've points. Got you got 10 points. Yeah. This one, this one I'm pretty sure you'll get. I would be shocked if you didn't. Not to put pressure on you. Uh, next question. The term meter in music refers to the way that music is organized, often based on regular patterns of beats with agogic accents occurring on emphasized beats. What varied symbol designates meter on music written in Western notation? Wait, I'm still trying to get what you're asking for. What is, the... What's the name of a thing you see on a piece of music that tells you the meter? Oh, like a time signature. Yes, it is a time that, signature. Yeah. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah, the time signature is the designation at the beginning of a piece of music or within a piece of music that tells you what the meter is. And if you're, you know, a beginning musician, all that tells you is, like, how many beats are in a bar? 
but as you get more into it 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 really designates like where are the natural accents going to be how are you going to phrase things like like it gives character to the music so yes mm-hmm. that is the time signature yeah cool 20 points uh okay <laughs> uh-oh <laughs> <laughs> this one i'm not sure about the iconic scene of Austin Powers in Goldmember features Austin, played by Mike Myers, Foxy Cleopatra, played by Beyonce, and Basil Exposition, played by Michael York, trying to avoid mentioning the mole on another character's face. Who plays the mole? It seems that his wonder years were behind him. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a Jeopardy-style answer and say savage <laughs> because you don't remember if it was fred or ben <laughs> so, <laughs> do i get a do i do i no that's that's acceptable yeah it's fine it's fred okay, savage right. yeah <laughs> fred is the one i was going to guess but yes. i was like i froze up on the savage no yeah it, you're you're not wrong so i will take it yeah uh yes right. fred savage yeah possibly the only actually funny part of that movie and only funny the first time <laughs> should not have been made Okay, anyway, that's my hot take on a movie that's like 15 years old. <laughs> All right, so we're, uh, we're going into I, the I final. don't disagree. Um, yeah, no, it's... All right, going into the final, you have 30 points. All right. I will give you the category. Yes, please. It is recent technology. Perhaps maybe recent technology in business. Okay, I will... Why don't I leave myself a point? I'll wager 29. Ooh, ooh, nice, nice. In case um, the other person bets all of it. I get yes. it. Smart, smart. No, it's, it's, it's smart wagering. Okay. I don't like finishing with zero. So. Oh, yeah, no, it just feels bad. I get it. I totally yeah. get it. All right, here we go. Here's your final. Future 007 villain Elon Musk revealed the next innovation in the Tesla line of electric vehicles a few months ago. The quote-unquote unbreakable armored glass turned out to be exceedingly breakable leading to a major embarrassment but not much else what is the name of this new vehicle which claims to have better utility than a truck with more performance than a sports car even though it looks like a rejected concept art from the original tron oh um there wasn't a hint hiding in there was there not really although half of the name of it i did actually say in the clue Ooh, okay. Um, yeah, I I remember the like I remember I remember that like the the press conference and the like he that he like broke his unbreakable glass yeah. on the on the truck thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't think I remember the name of the truck. I don't think I'm gonna get it. Oh, it's the cyber truck. Oh, it's the cyber truck. The cyber truck. Ah, uh, all right. Yeah, no, I was I was not gonna remember that. That that's a dumb name. All right, I've bummed out on a couple of quizzes in a row now, but that's okay. Next time will be my next time will be my time. Well, that brings us to the end. Unfortunately, uh, uh, Emily hit a tough hit, hit a tough final. Truck. Yeah, <laughs> the cyber truck. Uh, the glass was not the only thing that shattered today. Uh. But hopefully, our listeners did did better had had a little bit more success, or at least were able to stay awake through my talk about SI units. <laughs> So thank you for making it to the end. You are the real heroes. Mm-hmm. We appreciate each and every one of you. Even those of you who have stopped the podcast by now. <laughs> we still appreciate you. <laughs> we get it. We do the same thing with other people's podcasts. Yeah, honestly, uh, it's like... Make sure... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If, if you would leave us a review or a rating, that would be great too. 
Let your friends know about us, especially if they're into Jeopardy. But, you know, hey, you never know. You can find us on Patreon. Uh, We would love to have your support there. You can find us on Facebook at Potent Potables and on Twitter at Potent Potables 1. You can email us at PotentPotablesCast at gmail.com. So we'll be coming back to you next week with another week of Jeopardy. And until then... May your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker.